We praise you, Abba, that your Ruach is here. We praise you, Abba, that your Spirit is resting upon us. Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would just pour out a fresh anointing upon every person here. I ask you, Lord, that you give every person here ears to hear and eyes to see and ask you, Lord, for a fresh anointing as I deliver this word. We praise you, Abba, B'Shem Yeshua, Mashiach. Amen. And for those that don't know, I run a site called Worthy News. So we actually run a full-fledged Christian news agency. We have journalists in Jerusalem, Rome, Budapest, and throughout the United States. Amen. We cover what's happening around the world, what's happening in Israel, what's happening in the United States, and what's happening to believers. If you would like to sign up, just go to worthynews.com. Now, the ministry was found on the verse, Watch ye therefore. We're all called to be watchmen. To pray always. How can you effectively pray into the events happening in the world if you're constantly being fed lies from the media? We have one commandment, thou shalt not bear false witnesses. I don't know why it's so difficult to simply tell the facts of a story, but apparently it is. All I do is present facts. I do not tell you how to think. I don't think I need to. Each one of us should have the mind of Messiah, and the Messiah is telling us how to think, right? So worthy to escape all these things. How many realize the Lord is coming back really, really soon? You know, uh, the very first words out of Yeshua's mouth talking about the last days was, take heed that no man deceive you, which would mean that we're surrounded by liars. You should be surrounded by deception. So the next time you turn on CNN, you're like, that, they're lying to me. Just say the proven the words of Yeshua true. That's all that's happening. I mean, because we're in the age of deception. So we're, we're, we obviously cover what's happening. I really believe we're coming to what I call a water-breaking moment. What do I mean by that? Right now, we are birthing a kingdom. I don't know any woman that said, I really love to give birth. I enjoy it so much that I wish I could extend it out for days. I love it so much. Most people, or most women, because I shouldn't say people, I know it's confusion these days. <laughs> when women give birth, they're like, get this baby out of me as fast as possible. And so we're in this birthing of the kingdom. It, it doesn't feel too comfortable. I've never met a woman who said, I really feel comfortable giving birth. Right? But there comes a moment when the really, really strong contractions happen. You can't escape the strong contractions. You can't escape the hard stuff that is coming. But the Lord is promising us, right? That we're coming to a place where there's this water breaking. There's a moment right at the strong contractions that that water breaks. I really believe that God's getting ready to pour out a spirit fresh and new upon the whole body of Messiah. To be a light against the darkness. And if you don't understand these things, then you're not preparing yourselves to be filled with an anointing like the body's never had before. God is looking for prepared vessels to be conduits of his power. And all the events that are happening, I really believe that we could be coming to what I call a, a significant war in the Middle East. Israel and the United States have, have actually drilling now, called uh, a drill called Juniper, is the largest drill, the largest exercise with the most forces, the most planes, the most 
And it, it took place just two weeks ago. On top of that, Iran's continuing to build nuclear weapons or continue to build the bomb. Now, what I love about the news is how far behind they actually are to the facts. <laughs> the International Atomic Energy Agency came out with a report in September. The Iran nuclear program may not be for conventional purposes. Oh, we just fa- they just discovered this. A little far behind the news, a UN official came out saying, hey, they have enough material to build a bomb. Why is this crucial? Everyone is talking about the means for them to deliver the bomb. But there's a new thing that's being played out. Iran has unveiled a, a drone factory and drones that actually could hit, they brag, hit Haifa and Tel Aviv. That is the means by which they could deliver a bomb that we're not talking about. They actually probably already have the means to deliver it. The, the, the drones that they're building are being used in Ukraine. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Now, about two weeks ago, it was, kinda, it was a bizarre situation because in a weekend, it was two weekends ago, Israel uh, used a drone to attack a drone factory. I thought that was interesting, a drone attacking a drone factory. I mean, just a little ironic, right? And Iran officially said, hey, we're going to get ready to retaliate. This has not deterred Israel. They've gone ahead and continued to strike within Syria, preventing Iran from supplying Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization that sits on the northern front of Israel. They have 100,000 rockets facing Israel. And for the last... 10 years, there's been an ongoing covert war. But this is coming to a point. This is coming to a point where Israel looks like it may have to take action. Along with that, Israel is actually dealing with its its own interior problems. We have now a situation happening within Judea and Samaria. I call it Judea and Samaria because that is the biblical terms. The news would use the West Bank. But Judea and Samaria, so much tension is happening now that Israel is having to go in almost on a weekly basis to go ahead and and find the terrorists before they can actually strike. And it's brewing up so much so that they believe that they will have to deal with that situation. So in the very near future, Israel could be facing a five-front war. Let me explain the five fronts. First, you have the Iranian front. The second front is the Hezbollah front, which is in the northern part of Israel. They control the southern part of Lebanon. The third front is Gaza, where Hamas basically controls Gaza. The fourth front is the cyber warfare front. And the fifth front is the internal war. Most people do not realize there are actually 2.1 Israeli Arabs. Arabs that have Israeli citizenship. But right now what we're seeing in Israel is the Islamization of Israeli Arabs. We had in 1990 about about 80 mosques, and now it's almost 500 mosques within Israel in the last 30 years. And what you're having now is the radicalization of Israeli Arabs. So much so that the town of Lod, which is only about a mile and a half from Ben-Gurion Airport in the center of the country, in the last war, basically Jews were being yanked out of their cars and synagogues being burned by radicalized Israeli Arabs. 
the same t- our town, our town of Arad, we're surrounded by 120,000 Bedouins. When we used to drive to our town, you didn't see any minarets, which are prayer towers. And all of a sudden, now you drive to our town, you can't go by, but, you know, half dozen to a dozen of them. I mean, they're all over the place now. And so what we're seeing now is that that, that spirit now, our town actually, they had uh, light poles and telephone poles actually blocking the streets so that no one could drive up the highway to connect our town. Buses were being firebombed. Tires were being um, burned in the streets so no one could pass. Our town became completely isolated in the last war. So that is the internal war. That's the fifth front that no one's talking about. Now, all these things could happen very, very soon. But I am not a doom and gloomer. It is not the end of the world. It's a birthing of a kingdom. Now, if you'd like to sign up for our worthy briefs, it's free. We send out not only the news, but we send out a daily devotion. We cover, basically, we try to encourage you in the midst of bad news. Um, for those that don't know where my wife and I have a house, we're here in Masada. It's very difficult to hold it perfectly steady. Here we go. That's right about where we are. We're in a little town called Arad. If you forget it, we're between Arad and a hard place. Okay, there we go. I'm going to talk a little bit about prophecy, but prophecy is not meant to freak people out. It's actually for a building encouragement and comfort. Prophecy is given to us to give us an understanding of where we are in God's timeline so we can effectively, we can, we can perfectly fulfill God's command for us. We're called kings and priests of the Most High God. We're living in a day and an age where we actually have to rise to our calling. Fear does a lot of things to people. Fear, flee everything and run. There's a lot of people that are looking at the news and looking at all the events happening, and they want to bury themselves, and they, don't want, to, they want to hide themselves. You will fail your test. Or we face everything and rise. We understand that God tests the righteous. Most people are failing the test because they don't even realize they're in a test. The great thing about the test that we're taking, it's an open book test. Shock. The answers are already been given to us. And now we just have to read the book. If you're freaking out, read the book. The book says we already won. So now we just have to understand where we are prophetically. Now, I'm going to take you back because God actually uses archaeology to kind of tell us where we are prophetically. Now, if you went back to Professor Sucknick, 1947, who was alive in 1947? Okay, everyone that raised their hands. Wow, oh, there's Ron way back there. Okay. <laughs> 1947, a very unique day because Professor Sucknick goes to Bethlehem to buy a scroll. And he buys a scroll from a young boy who, ironically, whose name was Muhammad. And Muhammad lost a sheep, throws a rock into a cave, hears a jar break, goes in, recovers some of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls are bought and they're sold to a dealer, and the dealer, the day of the UN votes, 
the day the UN is voting about Israel, Professor Sucknick goes and binds the Isaiah scroll. And he reads this and he says, no one has looked at this for 2,000 years. And the day that's happening is that there's the news on the radio. There's a UN votes. What will happen? Will the state of Israel be created? And he realizes that the day the scrolls are found, it's actually fulfilling the word. Fulfilling the word that Israel will be created. And that's exactly what happened. The Lord will recover his people a second time from all these Arab nations that were driven out in the 1940s, 1950s, and they were driven out to come back to Israel. But I want you to notice this. This is a signal to the nations. This is a banner to the nations. This is a sign to the nations. For the Lord told us, when you see the fig tree, and the fig tree is a, a symbol of Israel, when you see the fig tree bring forth leaves, notice that the Lord did not say anything about fruit yet. When you see leaves, know that summer is near. The day that which we believe is coming very, very fast. Archaeology is also used for us to deal with societal issues. Israel was debating whether or not they should legalize pot. It's a big ongoing thing throughout the United States. What should we do with this pot? I mean, God made the plants. Maybe we should get high. So God goes ahead, and while the world is debating this, Israel is debating this, and ironically, just six months prior, Israel discovers something. Outside of our town in Arad is the only high place from the days of the kings of Judah. Now, we read in the Bible that Josiah destroyed all the high places in the kingdom of Judah, and there, so there was no high place except for this high place in Arad. And the high place in Arad was completely buried by a king, Hezekiah. And so, so for, for years, they couldn't figure out why did Hezekiah bury this temple? Why? Because it was completely, perfectly preserved. The altar was exactly how the Bible says an altar is to be made. They found a replica of a holy of holies with the Ten Commandments. And so here it is, they get discovered, and they actually discover on the incense poles dung mixed with cannabis or pot. So it literally was a high place. <laughs> so what do we do? It bury it. That's what King Hezekiah did. He buried it. He said, Listen, I can't, I don't have the heart to destroy a place where people worship God, but there's no way we can let this go on. And so here it is that archaeology is being used today to kind of pinpoint us, to tell us what's going on. Another thing that's been happening is that we keep finding fragments of the Dead Sea, of the Dead Sea Scrolls. This year we found two significant fragments. Um, it was, it, I don't have time to, maybe I do have a little time. Okay, I have a little time. Just a little time. Here was, uh, if you can imagine, Indiana Jones. There's a cave. How in the world are we going to get in this cave? And so they have to go ahead and propel ropes, and they have to kind of, and it's this crazy exposition, but they go ahead and they find a passage in Isaiah, I mean, in Zechariah and Nahum. 
And the passage they find in Zechariah literally is this. These are the things you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no falsehood. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. I wish politicians would grab hold of this. But this passage is right in the context of talking about when God takes the fasts and transforms the fast into feasts and festivals. And it says, therefore, love, truth, and peace. For many of the nations shall come to Jerusalem to entreat the Lord. This is talking about when the Lord comes back to rule and reign from Jerusalem. That is what was found. That was one of the fragments found. The other fragment that was found is in Nahum. And it says this, the mountains quake before him. The hills melt, the heat, the earth heaves before him. And the world and all who dwell in it, who can stand before his indignation is the question. The question is, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The answer, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and he will pursue his enemies in the darkness. Victory is coming. He knows how to watch over us in the midst of this darkness. He knows how to watch over us with the darkness overwhelming the world. And he pulls out this fragment to remind us, do not be troubled. Do not fear. <laughs> I'm going to pull out another kind of a, a tidbit because there's another major event that's taking place. And I'm telling you this now because this event actually could happen this fall or the makings of the event. Now, I'm going to take you back to 2017. It was December 2017. It was 70 years from the birth of the nation of Israel. And in that year of 2017, Donald Trump, then the President of the United States, declared that Jerusalem was to be the capital of Jerusalem, or Jerusalem would be the capital of Israel, recognized. <laughs> now, the year that that takes place, those that want to build a, another temple, the Temple Institute creates a coin, and those that buy the coin were supporting the efforts in building this temple. But I want to explain something that at this happen, as this happened, this actually energized those that do not believe the Lamb of God that came from the foundation of the world that died for us 2,000 years ago are looking for another sacrifice. And they went to offer up lambs for Pesach. They started offering up these different lambs, and now all of a sudden, they've are, they, 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 that year of Hanukkah of 2018, a year after President's they, they, they go ahead and they dedicate the temple altar. Now, I want to explain why this is a very radically bad thing for us as believers. Because if you do not understand this, you can get caught in the age of delusion that's coming. Yeshua said, oh, I, I forgot I got that slide. Ben Gavir, he is one of the leaders of a new party called Jerusalem Force, or Jewish Force, sorry, Jewish Force. He goes to the Temple Mount. And when he goes to the Temple Mount, that actually instigates basically, whoops, oh, I don't have that slide. Okay, that's what happened. 
he actually instigates kind of like a provocation. Hezbollah said, hey, this is a declaration of war. Hamas said, this is a declaration of war. The last time we had a major leader go up to the Temple Mount was in 2000, when then at the time, Prime Minister Errol Sharon goes up the Temple Mount and started the Second Intifada. The CIA director just said this week that we are now entering in, or in the beginning of entering in the Third Intifada. It's connected to a major leader going up to the Temple Mount. And at the time that he goes up to the Temple Mount, his father said, hey, do a Passover sacrifice on the temple. But you have to understand, there's no more sacrifices for sin. Yeshua was the sin offering given to us and given to the world 2,000 years ago. But I'm giving this warning because we're coming up to a new event coming this fall, or a potentiality of coming this fall. A red heifer... The ashes of a red heifer are what is needed to purify a priest, to purify the items going into a temple, to purify the priest's garments. This is absolutely necessary in their understanding of Scripture. According to the Talmud, there's only been eight red heifers ever created since the foundation of the world. And there's several red heifer candidates right now inside of Israel. Now, if they find more than, I guess, 10 hairs that are not red, they disqualify it. That's how hard it is to actually get a red heifer. Now, red heifer, you know, we read it has to be three years old. It's actually not three years and a day. It's, it's actually two months and two years and two months. That constitutes it being living in the third year. The time that this sacrifice could actually happen, if they find that this this red heifer is valid, is actually in the fall feast coming this year. Now, the, the, um, the Ramban, which is the Talmud, says, hey, listen, for proof of the Messiah, he must build the third temple. In fact, it states only the conclusive proof of the identity of the Messiah is that he will be the one that will build the temple. Now, I have to give you this understanding. The temple that's coming, actually, the temple of Ezekiel does not fit in the world today. The smallest dimensions I've ever found are 25 by 10. I've seen as big as 80 by 30. Okay? Why is the temple dimension so big in the time when the Lord comes back to rule and reign from Jerusalem? Well, it says the entire world has to go up to celebrate the king in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you don't go up, you'll receive a plague. I have a feeling, just a gut instinct, that no one's going to miss the feast. Just saying. If you love Sukkot now, you have at least a thousand more of them. Now... This festival of Sukkot that, that basically is the, the gathering of the nations, I want you to imagine how many people will be alive at the end of a thousand years. It says in Zechariah, those that are left of the nations. There's going to be a great multitude that enter into the millennium without resurrected bodies. And they're going to have kids. And kids and kids and kids and kids and kids. 
And it says the ages actually revert back. It says in Isaiah that a child is 100 years old. Everything changes when the Lord comes back. I mean, I want you to get a radical understanding of this. When the Lord puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, it says every mountain is leveled and every valley is raised up. The geography of the world radically changes. It says in Isaiah that, that the animals will be at perfect peace with us. It says that a child will go ahead and play with poisonous snakes. It talks about a lion lying down with a lamb. It talks about a wolf lying down with lambs. I mean, that's the restoration of the animal kingdom. It talks about the restoration of languages. That In Zephaniah 3.9, it says we're all going to speak a pure language. I have a feeling it's not English. <laughs> Just a gut feeling about that. The world's going to be radically different. So you can imagine, right, without any understanding of abortion. When the Lord comes back, there will not be a, another abortion. Okay? When the Lord comes back, there's not going to be any more wars. When the Lord comes back, the the understanding of disease is going to be changed. So can you imagine how many people will be alive at the end of a thousand years? Especially when someone's a great, 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 great grandma. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people. That's why the dimensions are so huge. But mind you, the dimensions is not the New Jerusalem because the New Jerusalem is actually bigger than that. So don't connect Ezekiel's temple to the New Jerusalem. It's another time frame. And the New Jerusalem is, is, is something we know very little about. So, so when the Lord is coming back and he's setting up a temple, it's not the temple they're trying to build now on a tiny area called the Temple Mount. They're trying to put a... A, a, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing to me? No touchy. No touchy. Now I got to find myself. Go start my slide back over again. So now I lost my train of thought. I was going so good, too. Well, uh, start me back up. So we're talking about Jerusalem, right? So they're trying to fit a square peg in a, a hole that's way too big, right? They're trying to fit something that doesn't fit. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, let me go back. Okay. Oh, my goodness. We're jumping. Okay. Oh, my goodness. We got all kinds of stuff to do. Okay, here we go. So the Lord talks about a day of deception. And Paul writes about this, that you shouldn't be soon shaken in mind or trouble when the Lord is getting ready to return. And he literally says, don't let anyone deceive you. Because we're in the age of deception. For there's someone that's coming that's going to sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, going ahead and showing all kinds of uh, signs and wonders. And he's showing the signs and wonders, ready? And the deception's coming upon those, ready? Notice this. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, for this cause God shall send a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So that all those who do not believe the truth might be, but delight in unrighteousness might be condemned. Listen, if you do not know the Lord today, and you say, I'm going to put it off, I'm I'm just going to put it off. The Lord is literally trying to warn you today. He's trying to warn you today. If you do not accept him now, when this actually starts taking place, 
there's going to be such a delusion poured upon the entire world that you will be lost. God does not lie. If he wrote it, he's trying to warn you about something that's coming. See, the Lord basically told us all these things that are happening and we're in motion today. And so many people can get so focused on the tares and so focused on all the things that are wrong, they actually forget that the wheat is growing up with the tares. And what God is trying to point out to us today is how close we are to the end so we can be about his business now. That's the prophecy is given to us to give us a sense of urgency. And right now there's a spirit of apathy over the body. As these things are happening, people are doing, you know, they're trying to, to hide instead of rising up. We have this interesting thing that happened. For years and years, those that said that the Jerusalem was never called the city of David, we don't have any proof of this. Just this January, they found a text talking about the city of David. The irony was it was actually discovered in the 1800s and it was actually buried in a museum in its archives. Now, this has been uncovered at the same time. I find it interesting that, that the Jerusalem Post says, hey, Jerusalem's 2,000-year-old pilgrimage road is preparing for modern revival. How many know that revival's coming? This is actually a prophetic moment. And we have this other thing that, that the, the Temple Mount, the, at the area, they, they've opened up the Pool of Siloam. Now, when I first went to Israel in uh, 2001, there was this little, like, cement kind of thing. And they said, this is the Pool of Siloam. And I said, that ain't the Pool of Siloam. There's no way. Right around 2010, 2012, somewhere around there, they actually found the beginnings of the Pool of Siloam, and they put a, a big thing behind it. And they said, this is the Pool of Siloam. I said, oh, that looks more like it. The Pool of Siloam is an acre and a quarter. It's a big pool. Now, some people may argue with me about this, but I honestly believe that when Peter braved the word at the beginning of Acts and 3,000 souls came into the kingdom and they were all baptized that day, is 3,000 like a lot of people? I think you need a pool big enough to baptize them. So I believe that the opening up of the pool is connected not only to the beginning of the age where 3,000 Jews came to faith, but the end of the age where all of Israel should be saved. See, I think that, that God is, is closing the loop. By opening up the pool of Siloam, it gives us an understanding that God is getting ready to do. He's getting ready to pour out his spirit fresh and new. Now, the only time that the Pool of Siloam is actually used... Oh, I mean, I'll explain it this way, because it talks about the pilgrimage road. Sorry, Steve. Just warning. <laughs> the pilgrimage road was kind of like the Macy's Day Parade of New York City. Everyone in New York City goes to the Macy's Day Parade and watches people go by. Well, 
The Pool of Siloam is where the high priest would go down and would go down the step road, go all the way down the Pool of Siloam and take a picture and take it. And then he would walk up and there would be all of, all of every Jewish person that was commanded to come to Sukkot. We're talking about Jews from all over the world. They would follow up this processional, like the Macy's Day Parade. And the high priest would get up on his pitcher and he would start pouring out the pitcher, pour it into a laver. And they would quote this passage, Behold, God is my Yeshua. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord of God is my strength and my song, and he's become my Yeshua. And with joy, with joy you shall draw from the waters of the wells of Yeshua. So what happens? The last day of the feast, the day that everyone's marching up, the day that he's pouring it out. Yeshua literally says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. That is a promise to us. All you are thirsty. The more you thirst, the more he gives. There's a lot of people that are quite satisfied in their spiritual walk. You're only getting that much water. But if you're thirsty, he wants to keep pouring. He does, if you come to this with this appetite, I want more, I want more, God's ready to meet you. Now, the only place that, that this is actually used, the Pool of Siloam, it's a very interesting passage because it continues from John 8 when he says, I am the light of the world. There's a woman that's there. He said, let him him who cast the first stone, you know. And so he, without sin, let him cast the first stone, and everyone leaves. And he says, I'm the light of the world. This is a continuation of that. Continues the next day. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And there was a blind man. And so this blind man must have been blind from birth, and he takes some mud, he spits on it, he then covers his face with mud. I don't know about you, but he must have been real desperate. Of course, he probably didn't see that mud was being put on his face. He probably didn't know. But here he is, he's got mud on his face. Well, you know, if you got mud on your face, well, you need to go and wash yourself off now. He goes to the pool, he cleans himself off. When he cleans himself off, all of a sudden, he sees. He says, and they said, hey, isn't this the guy that used to sit and beg? How is it that you see? And he said, look, Yeshua made mud annoying my eyes and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went. And he received a sight. And they said to him, well, where is this Yeshua? I don't know. I was blind just a few minutes ago. <laughs> So they brought the Pharisees, the man that had been formerly blind. They brought him before the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, hey, how did you begin to see? Let me explain it again. Yeshua came and put mud on my eyes. I once was blind and now I see. And so now they were saying, hey, this, this guy can't be from He is not keeping Shabbat like we understand it. And so there was a division. So they didn't believe he was actually blind. So they said, let's get his parents. So they go find his parents. Now his parents, they're terrified because they don't want to get put out of the synagogue. They said, well, how is it that he sees? They said, well, go ask him. So they go to him a second time. This is now the third time he's explained himself. So in explaining himself, right, he says, look, the one thing I do know that is once was blind, but now I see. I've told you already. 
but you would not listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Oh, that stirs up something because he says, look, look, we're not disciples. We're disciples of Moses. We know that Moses come from God. Why do you not understand that this is an amazing thing? And no one knows that he, he must be a worshiper of God because only, and it does as well because God listens to him. Because not once was blind, but now I see. And then they said to him, are you trying to teach us? Actually, he was. Do you believe now that Yeshua hears that he's been cast out? He's been a testimony of the miracle working power of being able to receive sight. And he says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered and said, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking with you. Lord, I believe he was not just a man. Because a man would say, no, do not worship me. That's what Peter said. Do not worship me in Acts. He worshiped him. Because he was the son of God that came. The, the, the son of God, the lamb of God that was prepared from the foundation of the world. And he worshiped him. For judgment came in this world that those who do not see may see, and those that, be, that see may become blind. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you, that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Today's question, who is Yeshua? Because there's coming a time where you can't say, I believe now. Because there's going to be a great delusion that they will be forever condemned because you did not receive the day of your salvation. Either Yeshua is who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the Son of God that was a lamb provided before the foundation of the world to provide a sin covering for you. Yeshua is exclusive in the fact that he is the way, the truth, and life. No man comes from the Father but by him. But he's fully inclusive because he's redeemed people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. He's trying to draw all men to himself. We're coming to an age now where deception is all around us. And the decision you have to make today, the first decision is, who is Yeshua? And if you know that, the second question you have to ask yourself is, am I really thirsty? Because you're only getting as much water as you think you need. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. If you have an issue with you don't feel God in your life, it's not God's fault. And he's saying right now, pour out your heart again. Start fresh and new today. It's Shabbat. Miracles happen on Shabbat. The blind see on Shabbat is a day to come back into it. To walk out of here, understanding the times that we're in. It's getting close now. Understand the hour that we're in. It is now it's way past. Darkness is covering the earth. Praise God. He says, I'm going to rise over you. I'm going to shine upon you. And your light, the nations will come to your light. We're coming now to the age of revival. We're coming now. And what God is looking for is a vessel 
that rivers of living water can flow through. So, Abba, Father, I ask you, Father, you pour upon every person here just a fresh understanding. First, who you are. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We praise you, Abba, that the miracles you provided back then and the miracles you're going to provide in the future and the miracles you're going to provide today. We praise you, Abba, that you sent your son. We praise you, Abba, that you're ready to pour out upon us rivers of living water. So, Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would pour upon this whole congregation just a fresh outpouring of your spirit, that we would walk in power and might as we walk out these doors. In the age of revival, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. And thank you, George. And thank you, George and Rivka, for, the, for blessing us in this way.